at the museum with Alan and Daniel. We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long. Everyone come gather round, listen to your favorite sound. We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long. We'll talk the games and all the rest about the team that we love best. We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long. And we welcome you to another edition of Meet Me at Mutual. I'm your host, Daniel Shoptoff, C70 the Bat at C70 on Twitter. With me, as always, Alan Medlock from Red Dirt Redbird, a Medlock one on Twitter. And joining us this week is Alex Crisofoli from Chirps and Birds on the Black and a Alex Card 79 on Twitter. Alex, how are you tonight? I'm doing I'm doing good. How are you guys? Doing doing well as we do this little crossover podcast thing. Um, you know, I feel like there's this like cardinal podcast universe and, you know, now every once in a while we pull a, a guest star from somebody else's to have a crossover. It's, it's always usually a lot of fun, at least for us. I don't know about you, but, um, no, it's, I would like to uh, borrow whoever did your theme song. In fact, I listened to that a couple of times just to get me in the moment for this podcast. Cause I knew I wasn't going to hear it before we started recording. And I really need to hear that music to get into a meet me at usual podcast. So <laughs> I'd like to borrow whoever did that. They did such an awesome job. I think I made the joke to you one time that I felt like you could hear the, uh, groans getting louder each time uh stan usual said he was going to play take me out to the ball game yeah. uh you know, so so, uh, so i was ready for the change and yeah whoever did that theme really knocked it out of the park it, no no pun intended there but yeah yep that is that is some guy named rob it's rob mccormick here in town and then yeah we've he did my uh podcast my conversations with c70 podcast one that it's a long way back now and Al and I decided to to get him to come and do another one that it has been. It is nice. It's a very good change and no, no disrespect to Stan, of course, but um, it is a, a nice change from that. Um, spring training is going on. We've had more week, another week of games. And I know Alex, this is not necessarily when you pay a lot of attention, but has it been a little bit different for you this year being how crazy 2020 was? To be honest, I haven't watched any of the actual games, but that is not necessarily a reflection on my interest level. It has more to do with the fact when the games are on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, more, more, you know, more often than not, they're on during the day. And, right. You know, I'm working and and all that. But I, I will say, and I, I said this to Tara as well. Uh, I, I am trying to be a little more invested in what's going on. One, just because I do a daily podcast, uh, a weekly podcast about the Cardinals. So I feel like I should probably, it's in the best interest of all involved if I actually have somewhat of an idea of what I'm talking about. Uh, but two, you know, I just don't want to take this stuff for granted because we saw last year how quickly we can be like, oh, we're about to have a summer with no baseball. And at least it felt that way for a very long time. I know I certainly w- was at a place last year where I was accepting that we were not going to have baseball mm-hmm. for the entire year. And then it kind of quickly changed course. But point being, I yeah, I... I I love baseball so much. I love following the Cardinals so much that it was kind of a lesson. Like, you know, this can go away, especially since we're still in the middle of the pandemic or 
maybe not the middle is not the right word, but we're still in it at some point on the timeline. So I am trying to pay attention more to it than I did last year. Yeah. And, you know, of course, sadly, next year is not guaranteed for different reasons. So um, it, it is kind of this almost grab it while you can type of thing. Alan, I know you, your, your situation, your, your work schedule is a little bit more flexible. Have you watched more this year? Of course, they're not televising every game this year like they have in the past. Yeah, I wouldn't say more for that re- reason. There's not as many the times that I feel like I'm free to do it. Uh, they haven't been on as much, you mm-hmm. know, and then even the radio broadcasts have been less you know, than they have in the past, but I've tried to follow as much as I can, you know, and it, it's a lot of times coming home for lunch and catching some of those games is, uh, is a lot of fun when I've been able to, um, I'm not a big fan of these night games. I, that's one of the things that I always liked about spring that they, that they wouldn't do. Now it could be a situation guys like that you two, that you would probably appreciate it more because you could see more of it, but I don't know. It just, there's something about the flow of the whole deal. And then like tonight, I mean, you're going against the uh, conference tournaments in basketball and it's just, uh, it's tough to watch, but, but I've tried to be vested for the same reasons. I mean, just like with, with baseball and basketball and even college baseball this year, I've tried to watch as much as I can just because I think the lack of last year kind of made you realize how, how quickly it could go away. And, you know, you, everybody you're watching is on a, uh, you know, is on a clock essentially. So take in what you can. So I've tried to pay attention as much as I can and, and try not to fret as much on the results, but uh, hopefully see improvement across the board. If that means anything. Yeah. And while we're not necessarily to the point in spring where we're actually worried about results. And I think that, it's going to be interesting a little bit to see how this spring goes with, you know, are they able to make cuts? It feels like they should have made some cuts by now, but being that there's not any really minor league camp to send them to. And the fact that these are the people that are going to be in that alternate site um, for the first month of the year, it just kind of makes me think that they'll just kind of make that final cut at the end of the spring and shift things people around. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. And if you guys can elaborate on this, if you know anything, I really expected there to be a cut like Wednesday or Thursday when they had that off day and we didn't hear anything at all. You know? So I was like, I wonder if that's just going to play into uh, the announcement of the, uh, the, you know, the offside or whatnot. I don't know. I, I, have you guys heard anything about that? Anything clear, any clarity? I have not. I haven't seen anything either about that. It's, it just, I mean, obviously this is a, a bit different just because of, of how you're having to keep this yeah kind of a bubble or if you will uh, on these players and you don't have as many of them, but uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't heard them even really discuss that and, you know, and who knows, maybe we'll see something, you know, after this weekend, but um, I mean, there are more off days than normal. You're right. Used to be, you know, there was an off, one of the two off days or something that they would get in the spring and you would expect roster move or something like that. But with an off day every four days this year, yeah. I guess maybe that, that throws our rhythm off a little bit. Um, and again, we're not looking at the on the field stuff, but off the field. Well, there's been some stuff this week. And the biggest thing is Miles Michaelis is not going to be ready for opening day. I mean, we've, I think they finally officially said that he's continued to have shoulder issues. He continues to be pushed back. And Alex, we have, it feels like seeing this kind of song before or seen this kind of movie before and heard this kind of song, I guess, if not to mix metaphors, um, 
of a pitcher that comes to spring training and, you know, he's coming back from injury and all of a sudden that delay and delay, delay. And, uh, you know, who knows when we'll actually see. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it seems like an annual thing with, uh, and, and probably not just with us, but I would right. probably with most fans with respect to the team they follow just because of how uh, vulnerable pitchers are. Um, I have to be honest, I'm not as worried about it as a lot of people are. And that doesn't mean I, I don't wish they had maybe looked into signing someone like Jake Odorizzi or, mm-hmm. or something like that. But... I think I'm looking at it from the perspective of the bullpen threw about almost 600 innings in 2019. Uh, and even though that was only, uh, you know, less than two seasons ago, it even feels like it's evolved since then, meaning how much we're going to be relying on bullpen. Like we might see the pen throw north of 600 innings this year, although, you, you know, it, it's hard to say that because it's different, right? With right. like seven inning doubleheaders and who knows if we'll have games called because of COVID and stuff like that. But I'm trying to imagine, I think, a scenario in my head. And let's just pretend right now that they're going to play a full 162. Um, I, I'm trying to imagine a scenario where Flaherty, Wainwright, and then either one of Carlos or KK. Let's just pick one of those guys. Let, let's say it's Carlos. That you can get... 500 innings plus out of those three guys. Um, and that might be asking a lot, hmm. Espe- especially when it comes to Carlos Martinez, who really hasn't thrown a, a full starter's load since, what, 2017. So that might be asking a lot. But I do feel like if you can get 500 innings out of, again, Flaherty, Wainwright, and then one other guy, and then just look to, you know, you have your pick with Ponce and, and Reyes and KK and and hopefully Michaelis at some point to throw additional 300 innings and then basically turn the games over to a bullpen that should be pretty good. And, you know, I, I hesitate to say that about a bullpen almost ever because we've certainly seen <laughs> bullpens that we thought were going to be good and just have not been for the sheer fact that it's a bullpen. <laughs> and it's, you just kind sure. of never know. And, and the exact opposite, right? Yeah. But on paper, it certainly looks like this could be a great bullpen. Yeah, so, good. Sorry, yeah, sorry. No, no, that was basically the end of my point. So I'm not as worried, I think, as I would normally be. And some of this goes back to, I don't know if you read Godar's post on Viva Alberto's this week, where he kind of just talked about, like, look, we don't think about starting pitchers the same way, even as recently as a couple seasons ago. Um, so it's kind of related to that. Um, that said, it's certainly not good. <laughs> you know, you would certainly rather have him in there. But I don't think it's quite the disaster that well i don't know if anyone's calling it a disaster but I, I don't think it's a disaster quite yet is what i'm saying yeah it feels like it would be more of that safety net than it would be the just the, it's a nail in the coffin type feeling with, with him out because i agree with you i think that uh you know those innings would be huge but it also opens the door for the guys i mean we there were conversations about Ponce being in memphis possibility possibly again you know what I mean? One of those situations. And I would think that he has one of the six starting tracks right now pretty much lined out. Um, and then we start breaking down the innings. I agree with you. I've always said that you you cannot judge a bullpen year to year because you never know, never know. But they didn't have Hicks last year, and Helsley's going to be a bigger, bigger part of this bullpen. Mm-hmm. So it almost feels a little bit different than what they had last year. You know, So I agree with you. I, I haven't been that concerned about it. 
Um, mainly because I kind of felt like they were keeping it under the rug that they were completely confident in him being healthy anyway. Yeah, is is it different for y'all? Because I don't know that how I'm concerned about it, but that's partly because I don't know that I was completely sold on Miles Michaelis being a, a mm. huge part of this rotation either. I mean, you know, like sure. that core guy, you know, it's not like Flaherty or somebody like that. I think Michaelis can be good, but I don't know that the drop off again, we're not really sure. I don't, I don't feel like we're really terribly sure of what we have in Michaelis. He took that step, you know, I had a great first year, took a step back. Then he was out last year and here we are where we're at now. Um, you know, that step from him to Ponce or, and we'll get to Alex Reyes here in a little bit, but you know, Ponce or, or maybe Woodford or something like that, that step just doesn't feel like it's so, so large that it's a stumbling block. No, I, I, t- I totally agree. And Tara and I were talking about this and I misspoke when I was talking to her thinking that 2019 was actually his really good season, but it was actually 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and as you said, 2019 was the year he kind of took a step back. Uh, still had a pretty, you know, certainly a solid season for what you would want out of like a th- your third or fourth starter, but nothing, nothing like 2018. And add on the fact that, as you said, you know, he's, just had a major injury, surgery, sat out a full season. We haven't seen him since 2019. Yeah, exactly. Who who knows what we're going to even have with this guy? And I, I, I don't know. I, I, I certainly feel as though we he could easily be another one of those guys who's like uh, – I, yeah, I, I don't. I guess like the Ponce de Leon classic. Like, I don't want to c- quite say he's going to be like that quadruple A type pitcher, but like the guy who, like, you know, look, we're going to have two guys at the top of the rotation or three guys at the top of the rotation, and then hopefully just a couple guys we can give the ball to to get a few solid innings and hand the ball to the bullpen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that Wellmeyer type. Yeah, you know, where yeah. where you're patting the guy on the back because he put he gets it to get you to the fourth and fifth with a stellar bullpen. I mean, yeah, that makes complete sense. I I often wonder too about if you remember Michaelis's big year in '18. He threw the ball on the ground. Um, they he he just worked the infield over, and that was impressive. And and you just wondered if that wasn't replicated because there was a there's a whole heck of a lot of fly balls in '19. You know, so, and like I said, I like him for the safety net aspect, but, you know, back to the thing, we, I really, there can be some electric guys in the rotation, and that wouldn't be one of the first ones to come to mind, let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the strikeout rate is not high, the strikeout to walk rate is not great, it's, you know, he's, and I think he feels somewhat, maybe in that same discussion we would be having about Dakota Hudson, right? It's just a guy that, he gets good results, but it's not it feels like it's not sustainable because of the, you know, the lack of power or whatever the case might be, you know, um, you know, again, it's, it, it's too really too early to judge on either one of those guys. Hudson has definitely, you know, put up another, put up two good years where we're kind of like kind of shaking our heads, but he's still doing it. So, um, and Michaelis has a chance to come back. Alan, I'll ask you first and I'll get, then I get to Alex, but this feels like a little bit more of a situation where the Cardinals gave out a contract they didn't necessarily need to, and it's come back to bite them. We've talked about 
uh, for for years, it feels like now, talked about uh, Matt Carpenter's contract that he was given the extension when they still had an option. The Cardinals give the the four-year deal to Michaelis when they still had a, a 2019 to go. And now, out of that four-year deal, they've, the first year had nothing out of it, and the second year is going to have less than 100%. Um, are, do you think this is a thing where they kind of are a little bit more hesitant to extend people that they don't necessarily have to? Yeah, I would think that probably. It's, um, you know, you're always rolling the dice with starting pitching, especially mm-hmm. guys that have thrown the innings that he did, you know, being overseas and whatnot. And that's just how it is. It's a ticking time bomb, really. Um, so yeah, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. I mean, I've felt like Michaelis was one of those that they had in hand anyway. I mean, they, they pretty much signed him because he lived in Jupiter, you know, or you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that's why they got him, right, he lived right. there, but it sounded like they had the inside track anyway. So yeah, I mean, it begs the question without a doubt. Alex, what do you think? Yeah, well, it, it just seems as though the Cardinals kind of fell in love with that idea of wrapping these guys up for, uh, um, you know, before their contract expires um, and presumably for a little less than what they would get once they hit the open market because of they were able to do that with Pujols and, and Yadier Molina. And I guess the problem there is those are pretty transcendent play, <laughs> players. Um, and th- then we see how it works out when you do it with like Matt Carpenter and uh, Piscotti and Colton Wong, Miles Michaelis, Carlos Martinez, all very good players. Um, but the results are going to vary because they're not the same players as a guy like Albert Pujols or Yadier Molina, I guess. Right. Yeah. And I think there is also, there's at least the temptation. I don't know that that's what the front office did, but we were at blogger day in 18 when Michaelis is having that great year. And the front office was very proud of the fact that they had identified Miles Michaelis as a a guy that could succeed in the in the MLB. And when he did, I feel like maybe there was that that you know self fulfilling prophecy type of thing of okay, we we picked out this winner. Now we're going to keep him locked in here. Um, and maybe they overlooked a few flaws just because they had been you know they had hit it big on a on a dark horse. Well. You know, I still do sort of, I think, like his profile only because, you know, you brought up Hudson earlier. I still prefer a pitcher like Miles Michaelis over Dakota Hudson for the strict fact of the of the walk rate. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not going to strike guys out, if you're not going to be striking, you know, I, I guess at least Dakota Hudson strikes out about 20% of batters and Miles Michaelis is a few ticks below that, but... Hudson is also walking close to 9% or 10%. Whereas yeah. Michaelis, yeah. I, I would say in 2018, you know, he, I, I don't know if he led the league in walk rate, but he was certainly close. And He led it in walks per nine. I can see that right Okay, here, there so. you go. And, and again, we talked about how he kind of took a step back in 2019, but he was still very good at not giving up a free base. And yeah. I, I certainly appreciate that, especially when you have such a solid infield defense behind you. Uh, and, even without Colton Wong, I still think this is one of the best uh, yeah. infield defenses in the league, possibly all around defenses in the league. It could be a very good outfield defense as well. And that's another reason why I, I, I'm sort of intrigued by a pitcher like KK, even though we really, I mm-hmm. think he's only thrown, I'm, I'm not sure. 
you know, I looked this up a couple of weeks ago. I think he's thrown about 40 innings in, at the MLB level. So yeah. we still don't quite know what we have with this guy. I know he's been at least a little shaky with the velocity so far in spring training. Um, this is another guy who kind of pitches the contact, doesn't strike a lot of guys out. But I don't necessarily hate that with this Cardinals team. Uh, I, I don't want to return to a day where like every single one of our pitchers kind of fit that Woody Williams profile where mm-hmm. we didn't really have any fireballers uh, at all. And I, I still remember like in 2011, 2012, when some of these guys like Rosenthal and Carlos Martinez were coming up in the minors and, and hearing what they were throwing. And I'm like, Whoa, wait a second. Like we could, we're allowed to have guys who throw, <laughs> throw hard like that. I didn't, I didn't know that was even like in the rules here. Um, uh, so I, I, you know, I, I certainly still think it's, valuable to have guys who strike guys out uh you know more so than guys who, who don't strike a lot of guys out but i don't necessarily hate having a guy with a michaelis or kk type profile with this team does i you wait when you were talking about that it made me think does a guy like do people like michaelis and hudson and, and the ones that are not necessarily flamethrowers does that make the bullpen better just by comparison because after you've spent three or four innings or five innings watching play, you know, against Michaelis. And then you have to face Gallegos and Hicks and all that. Mm. Does that make it seem faster? That's a dang good question. Uh, from my very untrained, unqualified eye, I would certainly think so. Like trying to catch up to a Jordan Hicks fastball after, after, <laughs> you know, a bunch of sinkers from Dakota Hudson. I, I, although that won't happen this year. Uh, right. I would certainly think so. Um, oh, I guess Miles Michaelis might be even a better example than Hudson because he—I don't think he even throws as fast as Hudson does. But I don't know. What do you, what do you think, Alan? I, because that really <laughs> makes sense to me. Well, it's funny because uh, I mean, I, I think 102 is 102. You know, and yeah. that's you know, so so Hicks and and Helsley are on a different level, and I think Reyes is too, for the most part. And I, we said the same thing about Martinez. I used to think it'd be inverted a little bit. I felt like it would be harder to face a, a thumber after facing the heat, but I feel like 100 miles an hour is going to affect any timing. I mean, I know these guys can hit a missile if it comes to them, but 100 with movement's tough. Um, you know, we're acting like Hudson and uh, Michaelis are, trust me, I feel the exact same way, are yeah. just, uh, you know, they just, uh, they're nibblers the whole time. And both of them touch 97, 98 miles an hour. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, it just seems so finesse because neither one of those guys strike a whole ton of guy, a ton of people out. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, there would definitely be some, some, uh, yeah, adjustment involved, especially eye level adjustment. Okay. So now I feel kind of silly. Michaelis really throws that hard. Michaelis was hard. I, yeah, I mean, he was, he I, was a, uh, I thought his fastball topped out at 94. No, I, th- I mean he, okay. he's a mid nineties yeah. guy because that was that was the talk of uh, with all the movement that he had in his in the lack of ability to miss bats, but he could still crank it up when he had to. Okay, I totally missed on that, and I was even looking at some like pitch FX with him not that long ago, and I obviously did not see that. Okay, or, well, and, and it, it is funny though, and that made me think. Oh, I agree. Yeah. And, well, and, and all of us, all of us are old enough to remember when. A guy like that, even if he's throwing 94, 95, yeah. would have been, I mean, he would have been right up there with Nolan Ryan in the, in the, in the, in the heat category uh, in MLB. I mean, it would just been the talk of baseball if you're hitting that on a regular basis. Uh, and now every team's got at least that, if not more. So it's, uh, it's amazing how pitching has evolved 
even just in the 25, 30 years that we've been watching. Well, yeah, I, sure. That was kind of a global thing. I meant just not even the Cardinals uh, at Cardinals staff is you see it all over now. I mean, those guys just throw so hard. And then the ones that you consider the, the, uh, the uh, contact guys are still 94, 95, 96. Yeah. Well, I remember when uh, this is now close to seven or eight years ago when Araldus Chapman was first kind of arriving on the scene and he just seemed like this bionic person, uh, un- unhittable. And to think that Jordan Hicks threw, I think we all remember that game where he topped out at 105 point something. <laughs> and and what was kind of freaky about it is it wasn't a good pitch. He missed his spot. Do you remember? Like, you know, I think it missed yeah. Dottie's glove and went to the backstop. And I just remember thinking like, Luckily, I, I think a lefty was up, and it was a pitch outside. But mm-hmm. I remember thinking, like, if I'm up to bat right now, <laughs> uh, and again, this is me who, who, who has never faced anything above <laughs> 70 miles per hour from when I played, like, in uh, eighth or ninth grade or something. That's the last I played. But I'm scared to death. And did was there ever any sort of truther movement on that on that pitch? Or like, are we positive he can really throw close to 106 miles per hour? Because that seems like a crazy bump up from uh, whatever the fastest. It just seemed like he just jumped on the scene and all of a sudden like, oh, yeah, 103 seemed insane five minutes ago. And now we have a guy who's throwing almost 106 miles per hour. It's like when Beeman broke the long jump record and <laughs> just did something that no one thought was even like humanly possible or something. Yeah, I don't know. Of course, that was so early on that maybe you give it a little bit more of a he was over over amped and, you know, hit that because I mean, now we're still seeing him what at 102 when he's, you know, mature, if you will. Um, so maybe just a little bit of raw extra, you know, hit the hit the right time at the right day. Um, because yeah, but you're right. I mean, if, if there had been a right-handed batter in that box, I mean, somebody probably goes home with a broken leg and that's, um, well, I mean, that's kind of what I was reading. I had a quote on my calendar from uh, Reggie Jackson and he's, you know, he said, Nolan Ryan was the only guy that worried me because it wasn't that he could get me out. It's because he could kill me. Um, <laughs> and that is kind of that thing. You know, you're going to have some, some nervous times when you've got a guy that can throw really hard and is just wild enough to, you know, not get you comfortable. Um, are a, you know, it's funny back to the kind of old curmudgeon talk. I remember hearing a lot of guys that uh, will still say that even though he clocked at one Oh five, that Ryan could throw harder. Well, probably. You know what I mean, yeah. I mean, I was like, I, I, it's funny that you think that. Yeah. Well, how old was he throwing in his last couple seasons with the Rangers? Uh, Because, I mean, we're talking a guy who was hitting age, what, 44? And so it it, it makes sense to me if he's still throwing, um, you know, in the the low low to mid-90s at age 44, then at age 24, he he was probably doing something a lot better than that. (laughs) Yeah. I want to say that his last pitch, you know, when he came off and was hurt, uh-huh. Was still like in the 90, 92 range, 94. And, and then he was like, what, 46 at the time. So, um, yeah, it was. Oh, wait, no. With his injured arm, his final pitch was measured at 98 miles an hour. Wow. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, have you. Go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, <laughs> I, I know he walked a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. I know he kind of has. Um, 
I, I mean, look, no one would ever argue that he's anything but a Hall of Famer, easily, in fact. But, you know, his he has a lot of compiled stats um, because he, he played for so long, um, which is a testament to how good he was, the fact that he was able to play so long. All that said, I don't feel like we talk about him enough anymore. Uh, and when I'm talking about we, I mean baseball in general. Just yeah. how how good he was for so long and and to be able to – I mean – he, this was a guy who was an amazing pitcher in the early seventies and was throwing no hitters in the early nineties. Yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah. I just think that's, that's something that we probably won't see again. And, and I, I don't know if he gets recognized as much anymore. What an interesting career he had. And sure. uh, I'm not sure how much we need to go into it on, a, no, on the it, meet me at mutual sure. podcast, but, but well, it's true. And it brought up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, we talk about today, you, you kind of think no hitters should be a little bit more frequent because everybody's, you know, three true outcomes. And, you know, if they're not hitting it out of the ballpark, then they're hitting it into the shift and stuff like that. But still, nobody's thrown what more than probably nobody in baseball has more than two, uh, three. How many Scherzer have? Verlander has at least two. Scherzer has at least two. Um, but you're right. There's no way... Verlander might have three, but you're definitely right that no one has more than three, and yeah. Ryan had seven. <laughs> <laughs> and and to do it, yeah, you're like you said, you know, throwing the last, we threw the last two in a back to back year, real close to each other in in his forties is is pretty pretty remarkable. But like you said, to, to swing this back to the Cardinals <laughs> um, and to, to Miles Michaelis, which is where we started this conversation, the club says that they hope the reset period will let him move fully past the ailment and they don't think there's structural damage and all that. Alan, how much do you believe it? How much, how many innings do you think miles Michaelis will throw this year for the Cardinals? I will say, I mean, I'm not going to say, well, I can tell you what my gut says, but I'll only say it for half a season. He will throw zero innings before June. Okay. Ooh. Alex, what are you thinking? I have no idea. I'll do the Price is Right thing and say he'll throw <laughs> at least one inning before June. Uh, I, hope, I hope he does. I just can't uh, see yeah. it. I, mean, I just don't feel like, right. Yeah, I, it's one of those. I just don't feel like there's a, a ton of enthusiasm on the Cardinal side either. I mean, it, it, it's – you can read between the lines on a lot of it. I feel like. Well, and to to go to your point and to go more to that, I think you may be playing it a lot safer than you think, just because there's no place for him to pitch in April um, if he doesn't make the team. He's not going to be able to do a lot of rehab, so he may spend may rehabbing and not be with the club until June, because just, I mean, you're talking what they say, seven to 10 days that they're going to sit him down. That puts you into, you know, basically the end of March. Then he's going to have to start working up because he's never built up to the, you know, he's going to need a whole spring training basically. And then, you know, how does he do that in alternate camp? Can he do that in alternate camp the way you want to, he's going to have to do, I, yeah, I don't think, if he pitches in the in the majors before June, I think it's a real accomplishment, and it may be the second half before he does. If there's any kind of setback from now on, 
Does that make sense, Alex? That it absolutely makes sense. I am trying, you know, I'm certainly trying to be optimistic, but we've seen what often happens when a pitcher starts the starts the season on the 10 day IL or 15 day IL, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever number it was at the time that they often stay there for a little, for a little bit, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and, and especially when it, we're talking about a guy who is uh, an entire year removed from throwing an actual pitch in MLB. So yeah, we have enough experience with all this to know that being uh, pessimistic on this is probably the way to go. Um, yeah. I'm not, for the reason I said earlier, I'm still not too worried about it, at least in a vacuum as it relates to Michaelis as a whole. It still doesn't mean they couldn't have picked up another pitcher. Uh, maybe this will give an opportunity to see what we've, I think, wanted to see for a while, which is can Alex Reyes just be a starting pitcher? Because that would certainly mm-hmm. be exciting. I, I, It's not nothing to count on right now, uh, but the idea is still exciting to me. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, it's it's been four or five years now that we have been waiting for kind of this potential to uh, to to arrive, and for various reasons, injuries, um, some self inflicted. Uh, you know, it's just been pushed back, pushed back to the point that I, you know, I think a lot of us have accepted the fact that we might, we're probably not going to see what we thought he was going to be. We're probably never going to see that. Uh, tandem him and Flaherty you know just as you know one of the top tandems in the Mm -hmm. National League but it seems like this might be the year to finally figure that out or you know maybe they already have they certainly obviously know what they're doing at least way more than I do when it comes to this stuff Um, so maybe they already do know exactly what they have but I would like to see him start a game I I still think back to how he was mowing guys down in Peoria and Springfield. And of course that's a huge, that's a huge difference from, from this level. But I think we can still say that potential, you know, was was so intriguing that even three years later, I still kind of want to see what's there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a soft spot for Reyes as well. That's the, I was hoping that this would fall into his lap where he would get a shot. I felt like they got out in front of that and announced that he wouldn't, you know, and have that hybrid role. But that can that can certainly change. It's uh, I, it, it it's funny how for the longest time I wanted to see a Reyes Martinez type rotation because I felt like that if you could have just if the things didn't fall for Chicago like they did in '15 in that series, you know, a, a big a bias homer and whatnot, and, and we can go forever. I felt like they could have been damaged that year because they just had strikeout potential in that in the uh, rotation with Martinez and Reyes, and I've always wanted to see that. They kind of shifted into the Reyes Flaherty type situation, and I understand why they're handling it with kids' gloves. I know that they have him for two more years after this, so even if they if even if they make them that full rotation piece in two in twenty two, if he's healthy, makes sense. I worry though that we're going to see the best of Alex Reyes play, pitching for another team. That's that's what my biggest concern is, is that they're going to baby him enough to where he walks and they're afraid to extend him, and then he reaches potential somewhere else. And that's possible. Um, I I got to say, I'm a little bit, and I know other people have talked about this, I'm not, but this 100-inning cap, in, on, its, on the face of it, makes sense. I understand, given Alex Reyes' history, that makes perfect sense. But... 
I just, I just find it's going to be very, I feel like it's going to be very difficult for them to get that hundred innings as him as a reliever, because it's always this idea of, well, we're going to use him for two or three innings here and we're going to use him for, you know, three innings twice a week or something like that. Um, except the games never seem to go that way, right? I mean, it's either the starting pitcher gets knocked out early and you don't want to use him in that kind of game, or the starting pitcher is Adam Wainwright and he goes seven, um, or you turn it over to that bullpen, or if, you know, I just, I'm kind of feeling like, at least if you start him, even if you're doing the opener type thing where he only pitches like two innings or one time through the order or whatever the case may be, um, you have a lot more control over that. Obviously the Cardinals disagree, but I mean, Alex, were you a little bit surprised that they immediately ruled him out from at least starting at the beginning of the year? Although, I mean, I guess they did leave the door open for later on. Not totally. And, you know, the hundred innings thing didn't even really uh, make me blink only because, you know, he's never even thrown 50 innings in a season. Uh, yeah. he's, he's only thrown more than 20 innings once and that was the his 2016 season when he threw 46 innings uh, all out of the bullpen and but he was great let's not you know we all know he walks too many guys but he was great in those 46 innings and, and you know maybe there were uh maybe it was you know some warning signs here or there 46 innings obviously we saw a flarity last year it only takes a few innings to to make uh, 46 innings go from looking great to not looking very good at all um, and that easily could have happened with such a small, small number of innings. So, yeah, I, it doesn't really surprise me, I guess. Uh, I would like to see him instead of Ponce de Leon uh, as, mm-hmm. a, as that starter. Um, and, and that is no, uh, that is not meant as an insult to Ponce de Leon. I've, I, I this is like a wonderful baseball story of a guy who just like keeps showing up after a horrific injury and has if if he were to get injured in spring training and and never pitch again I would look at his career as a massive success of of where he came back from and and to be able to be a a pretty important player in that you always knew you had him you know, he was kind of like this, you know, break open in case of an emergency type pitcher. And this was a guy who almost died on the mound. And, and he's he's mm. pitched, you know, he's he's been able to to uh, to gobble up some much needed innings the last couple of seasons. Um, that said, I feel like we we've we've seen enough of Ponce de Leon in terms of knowing what we have with him, whereas that's not the case with Alex Reyes. And I'm sure I said the exact same sentence last year when we were talking about this. <laughs> about this very thing. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, it kind of, I just don't want to be at this point next year where we're saying the same thing about Alex Reyes. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm very hopeful that at least one way or another, we will get some clarity on Alex Reyes and it, hopefully he can at least build up some of that innings. Um, yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's still amazing that he pitched what, what was it? 46 innings that first year. And then he was still a rookie three years later when all you had to do was hit 50. In. I mean, he just, he didn't put up that. Um, and, you know, he looks, I mean, at least he made it through last year without any arm issues. And I think that's, that's just a huge step, first step. And let's see how, how this goes, because there is a lot of excitement there. And, um, and there's 
good a chance that there's going to be some openings in the rotation in 2022 as well. So, um, they'll, you know, the Cardinals aren't, even though with payroll going down, they're not likely to go out and fill them all in the, in the free agent market. So having a guy like Alex Reyes to step in for Wainwright or Martinez, if neither, either one of them are gone, uh, KK, whoever it may be, um, is, is a big deal. So, um, shift gears just a little bit. It's something that I know Tara and I talked about last week on gateway. Um, at that time, when we discussed it on Sunday night, uh, Matt Carpenter was 0 for 11 for the spring. After tonight's game, which Cardinals won against the Mets, right? No, Astros. Um, he is now 0 for 15. Um, Alan, again, spring training results. We, we, you know, put all those caveats on it that we always put on these things because that's all true. But it's because it's Matt Carpenter. There's a lot of concern on my part to see an 0 for 15, you know, going this deep into spring without a hit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say the same thing. I was like, you're going to have those situations where you just, you got to look at the approach. And I'm sure they're looking at other things, not just necessarily the successes in this deal. But on the outside, you look, you're just like, you desperately wanted to see something whenever you heard a lot of rumors that he was going to be in the second base mix. And then you see Edmund doing what he's doing. Um, it's tough to justify at this point, if he's, if he's going to play somewhere, I love Carpenter and I wish it would work out. And I would love to see a hot streak here in the next, in the next two weeks to, to make you feel a little bit better. But now I'm starting to wonder if I'm the fool, because we haven't seen that hot streak since 2018. <laughs> Alex, I know, again, I know it's spring training, but yeah, I mean, he's walked four times, which is better than, I mean, I think that means he's walked two or three times this week. So there's still some of, some of his game, but man, it's, it's a little late. Yeah. I'm going to say the same thing I said to Tara when we spoke earlier this week, which is if this had been two seasons ago, I wouldn't have cared if he was over 20 in spring training. Yeah. I just would have assumed, well, you know, this is like kind of what Matt Carpenter does, you know, yeah. in 2018, he got off to that notoriously slow start, but you know, things were still clicking, right? Just, you know, a lot of hard hit balls were finding gloves and then he broke out. Uh, he, he doesn't quite have that luxury of patience anymore from, from I think skeptic eyes like mine. Um, because of his last two seasons, it's, it's just kind of like the mystique is worn off. I, I no mm-hmm. longer think like, oh, well, he's just like currently working on his latest reinvention of Matt Carpenter, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and once the season starts, uh, eventually it's going to click. Uh, that's what I would have thought two years ago. I don't feel that way anymore because it never really happened the last two seasons. Um, and the other thing I will say is, 0 for 15, spring training, whatever, is not good. Uh, you know, it, it's, there's nothing you could possibly be working on with your swing where you or, – or whatever it is. And I said to Tara, like sometimes I think that's overrated a little bit, this idea that they're constantly in spring training like tinkering on things and, and like aren't really actually trying to like – play at the same way they would if it was a real game. I feel like what we see at this point in spring training is not that much different from what we're going to see 
when the real games start, especially when it comes to the hitters. Might be a little different with pitchers, but that's that's my impression with hitters. And regardless, though, let's say he was actually working on something or, or it's whatever it is. Mm-hmm. 0 for 15 is not good. It doesn't matter what – like there's nothing you could be working on where you're saying like, no, 0 for 15 is the plan. That, that, don't worry. This is like all part of like what I'm, you know, what I'm envisioning <laughs> in terms of getting to where I want to be. Like that just isn't in any equation of, of, of building towards something good. So, yeah, it, it's, it's concerning. It's also – 0 for 15, which is, uh, you know, almost every player on the Cardinals right now is going to have some point in the season where they are going to go 0 for 15. Uh, Almost probably all of them. This one's concerning because it is Matt Carpenter and we're we're kind of keeping more of an eagle eye on him because of how rapidly he, he sort of declined the last two years. I mean, this was a guy who was in August of 2018, he was a legit MVP candidate. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that was one of the most fun streaks. That's one of the most fun times I've I've enjoyed watching a Cardinal. I would say since Pujols left, uh, it, it kind of felt like you know Edmonds in that summer of 2004 for a little yeah, bit. That, there. that series in Wrigley was insane. Oh my gosh, I'm still sort of mad he didn't get that last at bat. <laughs> you know, I, I know, like if he had if he had hit a a double, or if he had obviously if he had hit a home run, but if he had hit a single even or a double. If he hits a double, then that's arguably the best offensive game anyone has ever played, at least when it, if he's mm-hmm. cap a game at nine innings. I mean, he would have had, uh, he, he had already tied Mark Witten's uh, uh, total bases in one game. Now, how much weight you give total bases, whatever. But still, like, I was kind of mad. And it was the Cubs. Like, you know, let's, uh, you know, I, I don't remember. I feel like the wind was a little screwy that day. Like, it could have been one of those days where you get the ball in the air and it might go out. Although my memory might be might be bad with that fact, um, but the Cubs weren't because we were they beat them bad enough that the you know that was one of the reasons that they Carpenter came out because there was going to be a pitch, position player pitching. So. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, my, my point being is like you know he was so great not that long ago, and then it seemed like it happened that season. Actually, the last month he, if I recall, he went so cold and he, he never quite rebounded in 2019 and, and it got really ugly, uh, in, you know, what about, I want to say, you know, less than 200 plate appearances. So again, what are we talking about? I don't know, but it did get pretty ugly last year. Yeah. Um, sorting this by, you know, at bats, and of course, nobody that has more at bats than Carpenter has less than two hits. Um, did bring up, and, and Alan, I'm going to let you speak to this because it kind of goes to to one of your uh, hobby horses, maybe a little bit. Um, the person with two hits is Paul DeYoung. Paul DeYoung is two for seventeen with one walk and seven strikeouts in the spring. You know, he doesn't have the same microscope that. Um, that Carpenter does. And I don't, again, I don't know that too many people are just terribly concerned about this, but you know, he could use a little bit of a boost in spring too, after the last couple of years. Sure. When it looks like he runs out of gas, I, mm-hmm. I completely agree. Um, and like I said, you could live with, you know, minimal hits in the spring with, with the young, if you would see a little bit of power Yeah, and you, and you really haven't. And that that's, that's troublesome. Um, you know, and it, like, and you're right. I mean, it's tough to keep some of the guys under the microscope the whole time, but 
But uh, yeah, you would really like to see the uh, the line look a little better at this point. It doesn't look great on anybody, which may say a lot about Florida. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I mean, the one walk to seven strikeouts always concerns me. You're gonna get a you're gonna get a ton of strikeouts with him anyway. But you just like to see a guy that you feel like has that thirty homer, thirty double potential, and you'd like to see it now being you know mid March. Yeah. yeah. Does does this that concern you at all, Alex? A little bit, and but it's not going to take much from him to where he's yeah. not a concern at all. You know, he yeah. he plays shortstop. He plays a position where if we can get just average offense from him, then I feel great because he's he plays such a smooth. He has yeah. such a smooth glove out there. I mean, he's he doesn't have he's not making Ozzy like plays. He doesn't have that type of range, but I feel pretty confident. Um, that he's going to make the routine plays that he needs to make. And, you know, I hope the kind of chemistry that he had with Colton Wong carries over with, with Tommy Edmond. That said, I, I agree with Alan. He does seem to fade. I, I feel as though, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I feel as though the series with San Diego, he kind of just looked lost a few times mm-hmm. uh, in the last couple games where I, I just had very little confidence in him when he was up at the plate. Now, I also feel like I'm remembering a home run he hit in that series, maybe mm-hmm. in the first game. Um, is that right? Did he did he go deep in that first game? I don't remember. I, I know Goldschmidt did. I You know, we kind of opened yeah. the floodgates, I feel like, maybe. A- anyway, I, I do remember, though, not feeling great about his bat. Uh, I, I think it's a bigger deal – with Carpenter, I, I well, I, I don't know. I, I think it's it seems like a bigger deal with Carpenter, or it seemed like a bigger deal last year with Carpenter because he felt like more of an everyday player. I don't know mm-hmm. how much we're going to care about Carpenter this year with Nolan Arenado sitting over at third base. Right. Yeah. And well, and yeah, say to your point with DeYoung, I agree with that. Is that you're going to probably see even if you see. A slow start out of the young, I would. I have a feeling that's probably going to be overshadowed quite a bit, just because of the fact who you have in the corners and the microscope will probably be on the outfield a little bit more to start the season. Um, I think and I hope that they're hitting the young at the top of the top of the lineup right now in spring to kind of do that jump start just to get him going, because I feel like he's miscast. In that you know one two three or two three four role, definitely. I wish they would let him play Thank shortstop. Yeah, him, definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah, all right. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I totally agree. No, with no, that. no, no yeah. I agree. Yeah, I knew how you feel on it too. I mean, it's uh, I just it, there's so much pressure on him to learn a position like that and to, to excel at to be above bar as a shortstop to expect him to you be at the top of your lineup. But I know that it, the lineup doesn't mean a lot to a lot of guys and. And uh, the numbers say it differently, but it does to me, you know, in positioning and where they hit. And uh, and I feel like uh, there would be a lot of pressure lifted off him if he would hit 5-6. I, I always make this point to Tara, whether we're talking about Harrison Bader or, um, or, or another – whoever you want to on, point to on the Cardinals who doesn't hit the ball that well. I guess you could point to a lot of players. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> At least recently. Um, I always say, look, if you take Paul DeYoung and you stick him on the 2004 Cardinals um, and he has – and he's slightly below average at the plate, no one cares. 
because yeah. he's surrounded by great hitters. Um, just like it probably surprised a lot of people. No, Edgar Renteria had a down year at the plate in 2004. Uh, like one of his worst seasons at the plate in St. Louis. No one remembers because the team was an offensive juggernaut. So you can hide stuff like that. When when Harrison Bader is you know has a WRC plus that's eighty five, or when when Paul DeYoung has a WRC plus that's ninety, or or whatever, whenever these guys are below average hitters for a good part of the season, when that becomes a problem is when you can't really hide those bats. Yeah. Is, is when you don't have uh, a good good hitters, as you were saying, Alan, one through four. When you have to throw Paul DeYoung, uh, you know, in one of those spots, or even or, or at five, that's when it becomes a problem. Yeah, it, if let's just say if Arenado's or Arenado's Arenado and Goldschmidt's Goldschmidt, and in the off season they're looking at, let's how can they find a solid shortstop? And we didn't know DeYoung. When you see a guy with his numbers as a shortstop and then are with defensive numbers as a shortstop with 30 home run potential, you'd be like, man, that'd be a good fit. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. just about every team. But, I mean, we break it down so much and he's been relied on so much unfairly that it's tough to, to say, hey, man, that was a down year. I will say, Alex, you are misremembering a bit. He did not hit a home run against the Padres last okay, year. Okay, so he went- I – I, I, Two for ten with uh, three walks, and only he had a double. So okay. maybe that's what it was. Okay. Well, thank you for correcting me. I, and <laughs> at, least, at least I was right on the first part in that he wasn't great. Uh, I, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I pulled it up. He has struggled. I mean, of course, it's only the two years uh, that he's played in the postseason, and one of those was you know, a series against the Nationals that absolutely nobody hit except for him. He had 250 of that series. So that was a little oh, bit. Oh, man. That's, that, that's probably the best. Our best, best yeah. Hitter that, that was his best one. That, that sounds like that's worldly for that, for how that series went. <laughs> You're not kidding. But, uh, but I think that, that kind of goes to a little bit of that, that narrative that we have of, of him, that he's, you know, he struggled in the, down the stretch. And, and part of that is because the Cardinals haven't, or at least we've, at least, I would say our opinion, I guess, instead of, of fact, that he hasn't had a chance to rest. And, you know, with Tommy Edmond going to play second base every day, or at least most days, I guess, you know, maybe if Carpenter does hit, they'd shift over and let Young rest. But I don't see them letting Edmundo Sosa play shortstop on a, you know, once a week or whatever. So I'm not sure where Paul DeYoung gets any rest this year either. Yeah, I was last week when you and I were texting, and we found out that the lineup was a uh, that they had screwed up when they sent that out. Mm-hmm. I was really hoping Edmund would play short last week, so we could see that this was going to be a possibility. You know, whenever they break camp, because I think at, at what point is is my, well, I I I feel like yes, this is a stupid question because we know the answer. But is there any situation where Carpenter is not a Cardinal? Is he going to be in the mix regardless? Is he going to be looking for a swing all year type situation? Worst case scenario. I mean, I can't I can't see any way. I mean, they're not they're not going to cut him. They can't trade him. I just, you know, I think they let him, you know, he may be a guy that doesn't get as many at bats, but 
I can't I just, see any way that he didn't finish the season. As a, in yeah, I agree. I just wonder if it's one of those situations to where is Carpenter going to cost Justin Williams a job or Jose Rondon? You know, is it one of those to where it may not directly affect those guys, but that left-handed bat off the bench, if that's what they're going to perceive him as, is uh, is going to block some guys. Because I feel like Rondon's one of those that could probably play some shortstop, and he's hitting the ball hard. And he's one of those that's probably raising my brows at this point. But, I mean, is his job, is that a foregone conclusion what's going to happen with him? I mean, I just don't know. And I feel like the weight in that situation is Matt Carpenter. And, and, and that's tough. I mean, but, you know, I say that and he, he probably comes out scorching. I don't know. I mean, but I feel like all three of us are skeptical of that to happen. I mean, yeah. yeah Alex, do you think there's any chance that they have, you know, that there would be a different outcome there? I haven't even contemplated the idea of. Yeah. It's, it's, it's odd. I mean, yeah. I, I answered my own question before I even really asked, and it was it, it's tough to kind of to think about where the situation may go. It's also tough just on the heels of last season when – how do you even evaluate someone like Sosa who didn't even yeah. – who, who doesn't even have stats for 2020 mm-hmm. uh, or, or anyone else um, who, who you're trying to figure out like who could give – who could play a little bit of short during the season. You know, some, anyone else who sure. was in the minors last year. It's – Last year is so weird, and it's always going to look odd to me anytime I'm looking up stats um, for like a minor league guy and be like, "Oh wait, was he hurt last year? Oh, that's right. No, they just did not play. <laughs> they did not have any games. Um, I don't know. Like, if this throws projection systems all out of whack, I would certainly think it does. Um, so it's, it, yeah, it's it's just hard to even evaluate or understand a lot of this because huh. of just how weird last year was. Well, and you know, I have a ton of running tabs right now with about college basketball and everything going, so I haven't looked it up about innings-wise. But off the top of my head, the guys that are closing out the games at shortstop are Rondon and Delvin Perez, and I've seen Sosa play more third than I have anything else. And I really thought that he would get a really strong look this spring. Now, he might in the next two weeks after we ever see a perceived cut or something like that. I don't know, but it has been odd how the playing time has been divvied up. I think I think Perez has made an impression. I will say that. But other than that, I think that he would be tri- ticketed for the highest level of Springfield if you could make it that re- make it there to start. And you would think that Rondon would probably be in the mix. But but I just I haven't seen Sosa get that many ru- run that much run at shortstop to see if he could actually do it. Uh, so I don't know. Well, if Perez, and I think I heard Kyle talking about uh, Perez as well and, and saying also uh, good things, if Perez is able to get to Springfield or, oh, man, Memphis, like that would be an awesome sign. Uh, yeah, I agree. It, Completely it, agree. With it seemed like, what, two years ago we were about ready to, I don't want to say give up on the guy, but it didn't look good. Yeah. Um, so if he can keep progressing like this, because he's still really young, right? I, I'm I'm not as good with the minor with prospects and minor league guys. Or, I believe uh, he came out of twenty-two. Yeah, so yeah. he came out of high school. So yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah he's got still plenty of time. Yeah. Good deal. Um. So let's end this on maybe a a, a little bit more optimistic note. I guess it depends on how you want to look at it. Because as I'm Sorting through the stats here, it's hard not to see Tyler O'Neill's name stand out. Uh, yeah. Hitting 389, 
Uh, he had his second home run tonight. He has eight RBI. Um, again, you know, spring training stats, blah, blah, blah. But it's, I mean, you want to see, I think, I think for as fans, we saw this competition in the outfield. You know, you have four, five, six guys. You'd like to see somebody come out and, you know, play well and take it seriously. And O'Neill has done that. Now, you know, the question is whether it can continue, but Alex, is it, is it good to see, you know, O'Neill with a little bit of power plus a little bit, maybe a, a little bit more discipline than we saw out of him? Absolutely. I've always been a bit of a Tyler O'Neill skeptic. Uh, I, and I think a lot of that is not necessarily his fault, but more my frustration on just not being able to figure out this outfield and just kind of have mm-hmm. this roving merry-go-round of various um, kind of promising, but also quite flawed players um, kind of going in and out. But so I've never been a big Tyler O'Neill fan. I've never loved, I shouldn't say not, not been a big Tyler O'Neill fan. I've just never been uh, confident that, that he's going to be an everyday player. Uh, that said, the one thing that always sticks out to me is that his projections coming from when he was like a minor leaguer, Really, I, I forget who wrote the article, um, and, and now I'm probably going to get a lot of it wrong. But I, I remember them talking about how it like almost mirrored a player like Aaron Judge, like like there's in some crazy world maybe Tyler O'Neill's ceiling is almost like Aaron Judge like. Uh, now I'm not saying he's going to be hitting 52 homers or anything like that, <laughs> or however many bombs Judge hit in 2017 or whatever year that was. But yeah, if he could just kind of tweak his flaws you know stop being so vulnerable to uh to to breaking pitches and stuff like that uh get the strikeout rate down you know take some walks and actually like if we could see this power spread out over the course of the full season it is kind of exciting to think about i'm not confident um that he's going to be someone that that we aren't going to be frustrated with if he's playing every day. But again, I, I, I think he's of all the guys, he seems to have the biggest gap between ceiling and floor. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think, you know, I think there's still that idea of trying to give him the consistent at bats because he got two last year, some, and I mean, he led the league, led the team in home runs along with Brad Miller, which just tells you how weird 2020 was, but it how, was a weird year. And so six? seven, seven. Okay. Yeah. Which is not a huge total, but seven out of 58 games, I guess. I don't know what that extrapolates out to, but About 20. Yeah. <laughs> but it's still more than. Still more than anybody Cardinals else. Hall of, Cardinals Hall of Famer. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm still, I don't, I, I'm still slightly optimistic that his regular playing time will, and maybe not. I think this is, I think the good thing about, you know, especially a good strong light start like this is he's going to get all the, the rope he needs. And at the end of 2021, we're going to kind of know what you have, especially in him. Um, and it may be good and it may be bad, but at least we're, I think maybe for this whole entire outfield, the Cardinals are going to have a pretty good idea go into this off season and the free agency and all that may, which may or may not be tampered by the fact that there's a CBA coming up. But um, 
they're finally going to know that. I mean, it's a, it feels like this this outfield situation has been a, a problem for five or six years, um, and so they're finally going to get this resolution that they yeah. need. Well, and on an optimistic note, I would say that the five guys that are truly competing for a roster spot right now, which would be O'Neill, Thomas, Bader, Carlson, and Williams, have all performed this spring. I, I would, I think that uh, that they've gotten a shot, and I feel like they've done well, which which I think I which I think is a great a good sign. And you know, as much as we're trying to to temper some expectations for some guys as far as the DeYoung situation and and maybe blowing some up on the Carpenter situation. The five, the, the numbers that the five of a uh, five of them have given the Cardinals so far is, has been really good. I think Alex, any, any thoughts on that? Not a lot. I, I will say it is kind of funny because I, I guess Tyler O'Neill, I, I think his season with the, his most played appearances in the bigs was last year, right? Like, like the, the biggest snapshot we've seen of him was last year in the, Probably. in the 60 game season. Um, let me look that up real quick. Yeah. I'm, I'm punched it into baseball reference real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he had 157 plate appearances last year and his previous high was 151 the year before. Yeah. Um, I, I actually, uh, what, what am I missing about Tyler O'Neill that should excite me? Maybe that's, uh, if you don't mind me flipping the question back to you, because you said you're pretty excited about him. Uh, why should I be excited about Tyler O'Neill? And I'm not saying I'm not. I'm just, I, I want to be more of the believer than I am. I think, again, last year doesn't help prove my point because he did hit 173 through all that. Uh, he got a strikeout rate down and his walk rate up, which are things right. that usually I think stabilize a little quicker than you know other stats. So maybe that's something. Yeah, like I, I feel like you know when we saw him in in I think it was nineteen, maybe it was eighteen, but you know that that month where he got to play because Azuna was out, that was like his best month. You know, it was really. You know, I mean, I want to say I have, without looking at, I, I talked about it at the time, but I want to see he hit like three hundred and had some power and it was kind of that snapshot of this is what he could be if he played regularly, you know, probably ideally, but you know what I'm saying? Um, And so, yeah, I think that if he's got enough ability to keep his, I mean, I'm not, he's, I don't think he's hitting a 300 or anything, but even if he can hit 250 and, you know, not strike out every time and get some of the walks, I think the power plays enough that, He's especially, you know, maybe it, I think best case scenario for this year, he's a solid fifth hitter. Now that may be, you know, maybe he doesn't get that. And that, but if you put him behind the two big bats, that helps that lineup a lot. I honestly think I might be a little biased against the guy because of his muscles. And he just <laughs> doesn't look like, like, like for instance, Dylan Carlson had a much objectively worse year at the plate than, than Tyler O'Neill did last year, although neither of them were great. Mm-hmm. However, Dylan Carlson um, immediately looked to me like he belonged. He, he looked comfortable in the plate. Uh, just the way he moved, his swing, everything about him to me screamed, this is a baseball player. I, I felt the same way as I, as I felt when I saw Stephen Piscotty first come up in 2015. I just felt like he immediately looked like he belonged. And Piscotty was uh, much better out of the gate than, than Carlson was. 
And, and, I, and I know you can also kind of play with the numbers with Carlson and show that, yeah, that actually, he does belong. If you, if you, you know, kind of split the season in two, he was, he was pretty good the, that last month or, or whatever. Uh, I've just never felt that way about Tyler O'Neill. And I think it's, again, my bias because I'm seeing this kind of big hunkering guy with kind of like a, a swing that isn't as fluid and pretty as a lot of other players, um, you know, like, like a Dylan Carlson or even a Stephen Piscotty. Um, although I don't think people necessarily equate like pretty swing with Piscotty, but yeah, I, I think he's just never kind of been in my head of this is what a baseball player looks like. And that's probably more on me than it is him. You know, I think that's, I mean, that's fair. He does have that. It's not quite the football player playing baseball type of thing, but yeah, you're right. It's that, you know, we're not used to, I mean, supremely, muscle-bound guys in baseball. I mean, it's obviously more than it was when we were watching baseball growing up when those guys didn't even go to the weight room um, and looked like our fathers playing baseball. Um, but, you know, even now, that's he's not, you know, a typical baseball player look. I don't if you saw him out in the street, you would say he looks like a baseball player. So I can get that there's some, you know, instinctual hesitancy about him because of that. Alan, am I, am I being unfair? Uh, uh, you know, casting him aside cause he's much stronger than me. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, I, we've had conversations like that on the show before. Now, now let me ask you though, who are you optimistic about in the outfield? I've, I mean, obviously Carlson. Yeah. But... I, I feel good about Carlson and I, I like Harrison Bader. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think he's ever going to be much better than he was his rookie year, but that's fine. Uh, if, if he can mm-hmm. play solid center field defense, yeah. then I, I feel pretty good about him, especially if we can flank him with two guys on the corner in the outfield. Uh, and, and maybe that's kind of my sort of unfair thing. Like, look, I, I give a player like Harrison Bader a pass, uh, because I'm expecting the corner outfielders to hit a ton. Um, and so then I'm putting kind of unfair expectations on a player like Tyler O'Neill or Lelaine Thomas or Williams or whoever you want to throw in there. Um, all that being said, I, I, I think the right defense to start season, I think the defense we're going to see to start season is going to be O'Neill, Bader, and, and Carlson, right? Like, like that's who we're going to see. On opening day, is is that? I mean, that's. I would think so. Right, and I think that's. Yeah, and I think that's the right call. And and in spite of what I've said about Tyler O'Neill, I would like to see a full season from him, or or something close to it. I would like to see him get uh, around 500 plate appearances. Um, Again, this is all. Who knows how many games we might lose? Who knows how many seven inning games we might have to play? but I would like to see something close to a full season, kind of going back to the Alex Reyes thing, just so we're not here next year and, and me saying like, yeah. well, you know, if you look at the 175 plate appearances he had, you know, from July to August, he actually looked pretty, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, yeah. I think we're all kind of tired of doing that. So yeah. it, it would be nice to be able to just kind of figure this, have a bigger snapshot to figure this out. I will say, I, I agree with that. That's going to be the starting lineup outfield. But Lane Thomas has looked better this spring than I thought he was going to. So I would think that uh, he's one cold streak away from being in the lineup every day. Mm -hmm. I would think with Thomas, I think he's knocking on the door pretty quickly, and I think the the biggest uphill battle is going to be 
Justin Williams, but he's making an impression as well. Yeah. Yeah. So not making the decisions terribly easy, but we don't have to do them. So that's okay. Um, Alex, thanks for joining us. I know like we were talking before the show, you recorded a hundredth episode of chirps this week. It hasn't made it into the light of day yet, but <laughs> congratulations on that. That's uh that's quite a milestone to hit that with. Uh, and you and Tara have been, pretty diligent about the the whole show since she started. Yeah. I, I, you know, almost all the credit goes to her. I just kind of show up and talk and she does all the editing. And, you know, uh, if, if you think I sound dumb on the podcast, I can't imagine how dumb I would sound if she didn't edit out all, all the really <laughs> dumb things I say. So all certainly all the credit goes to her, but yeah, I, I mentioned that, you know, even last, you know, we took a bit of a break once the season ended this year, uh, and, you know, we both needed that. And I think she especially mm-hmm. needed that because she has so much going on. But I, I said to her, you know, last year at this time when baseball shut down, like we kept going. Somehow we were able to have a show basically every week. Uh, I don't think yeah. we missed a single week until we we ended at the end of October. So, you know, we were pretty proud of that. And we're, we we're pretty proud to hit 100. Um, I'm running out of things on Chirps of the Week, though. So if you have anything, you know, always feel free to send them my way. <laughs> you know, if I really like them, I might uh, not give you credit and, and claim them as my own. But still, if you have something good, send it to me. Yeah, Al- Alex has never liked mine that much. He'll he'll use them, but he still gives them credit to me. So uh, <laughs> so everybody knows. That play. So, uh, but that's fair. But that's good. And I'm you know I look forward to another hundred of those if. Uh, you know, it doesn't feel, I mean, to some degree, it's like, okay, you're doing it regularly a hundred, but then that's like two years worth of shows right there. And, you know, I'm doing it every day and or every week it's um, in, in the podcasting world. That's, that's something to be said for, because there's not just everybody will turn those out for that long of a time. No, you're right. And I know there's like a million podcasts out there right now, but I'm, you know, I think we're both pretty proud of the fact that we've been able to crank out this many and you know even though we only do it once a week yeah it's not it's not always easy with you know schedules like ours that's why we're able to you know mm-hmm. reach out and have good guests like you guys or uh you know some of the guys over at Viva Alberto's or, or wherever so that's one of the nice things about kind of this Cardinals community that we have is there's always people to kind of pick and choose from when we need someone to come in and, you know, give us a break or something like that. And so, and actually like, you know, you have a lot to do with that, Daniel, you know, kind of cultivating this Cardinals community. So um, yeah, you should feel good. I'm sure you do feel good about that, but you certainly should. And you should. Well, that is, that is kind of you to say, and I know you and I are going to have the same problem come the summer, uh, finding a replacement for, for Tara for a few weeks. Uh, that whole marriage thing is. Gonna... Oh yeah. I totally forgot about that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't remember. When, when is the date on that? I should probably start playing. Uh, June 4th. Oh wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know how many weeks around that she will need to do it. You know, well, I don't care what time she's taken off. She still is going to, she's still going to have to edit it. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's uh, that's probably right at the high <laughs> part of her honeymoon plans was to edit a week of church. So, <laughs> anyway, well, Alex, it's been fun as always, and we look forward to every time that you're on with us, and we look forward to talking with you again soon. No, absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I always enjoy being on this podcast. It's uh, 
if it's it's probably my favorite Conrad's podcast, and I mean that. Like this is the podcast. Like I think I've said it before, where if if I were to ever go off the grid for like a year and then pop back up and I wanted to find out what was going on about the Cardinals, I think this would be the one I would want to listen to. So good job, you guys. Well, thank you. Thank this you. is another another reason we bring Alex on all the time. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, Venmo, right? Yeah, I mean, that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll settle up after. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, next week we have uh, Ben Srudy, uh with us next week talking about his projections and his new podcast that's going on over at birds on the black uh, on the same feed you can get chirps and you can get sruity uh on the same podcast feeds that's a, that's a pretty good one to go subscribe to so until next week for alan and alex i'm daniel good night good night they just